We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 116 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show as I conclude the season preview series by breaking down the Gamecocks special teams heading into the 2019 season. I'll take a look back at 2018, the top storylines heading into this year, why they'll be better, why they'll be worse, give a prediction for the 2019 unit, and much, much more. Also have some news and notes to get to, including Tavian Feaster, a massive update on the Clemson transfer running back. Uh, your listener questions as well. Also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks power forward Brandon Wallace as we discuss his recruitment, being a South Carolina Gatorade Player of the Year and Mr. Basketball, relationship with Dave Odom, winning back-to-back NIT titles and making the NCAA tournament, playing with the likes of Carlos Powell, Ronaldo Balkman, amongst others, and his professional basketball career as well. All that and more on a packed show presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one I recommend. SeatGeek's got tickets to literally anything and everything. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. Like I mentioned, they've got tickets to everything you need, whether it be South Carolina Gamecocks, sporting events, concerts, comedy club events, MLB, NHL, NBA, you name it. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything. I've talked before, football season is slowly creeping up. You're listening to this. We are 33 days away from kickoff. It's time to start getting your Gamecocks football tickets. What better place to do it than SeatGeek? They've got a great ticket rating system where they actually rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So they make the ticket buying process super simple. You know if you're getting a really, really good deal. You know if you're getting ripped off. So you're ne- you'll have that peace of mind before you click the buy button. Again, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. So again, go down to the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in on a packed show. Obviously, had some news drop just a couple hours prior to releasing this episode that I'm going to get to in just a little bit, but obviously want to continue um, with the season preview series. Before I get to that, you know, it's funny, guys. We are, if you're listening to this on Monday when this is released, we're officially 33 days away from kickoff. We are four days from the start of Gamecocks fall camp. It's crazy how it's creeping, but what's funny is when people ask me, Yo, you ready for the season? I bet you're counting down for the season. And I tell people, because we do the countdown videos every single day, I have to tell people, no, no, you don't understand. I'm literally counting down every single day. So it feels like at this point, I feel like I'm counting down the seconds at this point. But uh, either way, obviously very, very excited that football, the Gamecocks will be back on the football field this week. Uh, That's got to make every South Carolina fan giddy. It's got to make everyone very, very excited. I know I'm pumped up. I'm fired up. Um, you know, obviously me on a personal note, beginning in Columbia over the next week and a half or so I'm, I'm fired up for it. Everything is, there's that, you, you can feel that it, it's in the air. Football is certainly in the air. All the NFL teams are back in camp and things of that nature. And, uh, it's a very, very exciting time, but which is why I'm concluding and wrapping up the season preview series today. So we can focus on fall practice going on the Thursday show. But let's get into it. Obviously going to talk about the special teams. I thought the special teams certainly needed its own show because special teams need to get some love, and special teams has been a major part, I could argue, it's been a major part of the Gamecock success the last couple of years. Looking back at 2018, 
Um, Gamecocks obviously had Debo Samuel, who was one of the best in the country, most electric players in the country. Um, last year, his official stats, 23 returns, 570 yards, one touchdown. Uh, he was named first team All-SEC kick returner in 2018. I don't think I have to oversell or um, sell to you guys the fact that Debo Samuel was a massive playmaker and a true threat for the Gamecocks in the special teams department and really changed a couple of games to the Gamecocks over his tenure. Um, A.J. Turner also back there on some kickoffs when they kicked away from Debo. He had four returns for 83 yards on the year. Um, returning punts was Brian Edwards in 2018. 12 returns, 95 yards, had a 7.9 average, no touchdowns. Um, doing the punting for the Gamecocks. Joseph Charlton had a really good year a year ago. 48 punts, had a 44.8-yard average, 26 fair catches. Pinned guys 16 times inside the 20-yard line. He was named second team All-SEC a season ago. Um, I don't want to say a surprise, if you will, but a very nice piece, nice asset for the Gamecocks for sure. And then Parker White, you know, this is a great story. A guy who really struggled, was a huge question mark coming into uh, the season a year ago. You know, it's funny. I actually predicted that he would get beat out for the starting job. And boy, did I look silly. Parker White with a solid year, 13-16 to 16 on field goals, 45-46 for 46 on extra points. His long a year ago was 42. Um, so a great year for Parker White, obviously, after, like I said, you reverse back a year. That was a huge question coming into last season was who was going to be this Gamecock starting kicker because Parker with a really, really tough 2017 and, again, won the job and had a phenomenal year in 2018. So let's get to the top storylines heading into 2019, and they're going to be kind of what you expect, obviously. Um, the first one you have to start with is simply this. How are the Gamecocks going to replace Debo Samuel? Um, I, I think when I think of that question, obviously the first thing that pops in my mind is who are the options that are going to replace him? Because you've got to think of Debo Samuel is gone. He's in the NFL with the Niners now, expecting to do big things. But who's going to fill in there? Because the Gamecocks have seen, I mean, Gamecock fans especially have seen the impact that special teams can have on a game and can have on your season. I mean, you think the last couple of years, the NC State game in 2017, the Missouri game, the, his return that turned that one around, the Ole Miss game a year ago. I mean, there are a couple of games for sure I could argue that South Carolina maybe doesn't win those games if it's not for some big plays and special teams. For me, the guys that I look at off the top of my head that I think could replace Debo Samuel and be kind of electric playmakers back there for South Carolina, or at least at least fill in somewhat. I, I don't think there's another guy like Debo Samuel in this roster. That's the first thing I want to say. There's not another guy like Debo in the sense that He's going to be able to do everything. I talked about before Shy Smith, how I think Shy can be that playmaker and replace Debo in the offense. But, you know, as far as special teams, we don't know. That's a wild card, you know. So I have Shy Smith listed, no doubt. But to, to be able to do the things that Debo did in special teams, that, that's, you know, it's a special thing. It's a gift. I mean, it's, it's a God-given. To have that vision, if you will, that's something that's really special. Not everybody has that. So for me, the guys off the, off the top of my head that, that I think could replace him, Shy Smith, uh, a guy that, again, I think can fill in for Debo, has the same type of build, has the same type of uh, playmaking ability, speed, agility, things of that nature. So I think he's an option. A.J. Turner, I mean, he's a guy that's done it before. Um, he was pretty explosive in 2016, I think, a couple of times. He had the long return against uh, East Carolina and a guy that's just been dependable for you. I mean, I think he'd be a solid option back there. And then you start looking at some other kind of wild card, kind of rogue guys. You think of Josh Van. Could he be a guy returning as a sophomore that um, – could maybe take over that role. You know, that's something where we know he's explosive, has athleticism, but could he take over that role? Is he ready for that? Um, and then I think of a freshman, Jamie Robinson. Um, Jamie's a guy who returned in high school, you know, obviously has a lot of agility, is very quick. And again, that's sort of a wild card. We have no idea. The one that I didn't list on here because I felt like it's pointless to list, but a guy that I'd love to see back there is Jamias Williams. We've been asking for that for years since the Gamecocks recruited him. He's a guy who was electric with the football in his hands in high school and I don't know why. I don't know why they will not give him an opportunity at returning punts or returning kicks or anything of that nature. But I'd love to see Jamias Williams. But honestly, I didn't put him on this list because I think at this point it's pretty evident they're not going to do that. Um, one of my other storylines heading into 2019, and I hope he's listening to this because uh, he's obviously a uh, friend of the show. But to Joseph Charlton, my one question is this. How in the hell is Joseph Charlton not preseason All-SEC heading into 2019? Joseph Charlton did not make a preseason All-SEC team, first, second, or third team. Somebody's going to have to explain to me how that's possible. Again, we're talking about a guy a year ago that was second team All-SEC, had a 44.8-yard average, 16 times he pinned teams inside the 20-yard line. I don't understand it. I think Joseph Charlton, again, 
is one of the best punters in the SEC, if not one of the best punters in the country. Dude has an absolute cannon for a leg. I think a couple of years ago against Missouri, he booted a 58-yarder or something like that. Maybe it was 62. I might be underselling it there, but either way. That, to me, is a storyline in the sense that the Gamecocks have a really, really good punter back there. Um, you know, it's funny. People don't give the punter the love because it's fourth down, and that means you have to get the ball back to the defense. But as Lou Holtz used to say, you want to end every single possession in a kick. And if you can have a guy like Joseph Charlton that can flip the field, especially with the Gamecocks still figuring it out on defense, hopefully taking that next step this year. But you want to give your defense all the help you can. So to have a guy like that, Joseph Charlton, to me, has really turned into a weapon for South Carolina. When you have the ability to flip the field like that, you only notice the punter when you have a bad one. And the Gamecocks have a really, really good one. So to me, I don't understand how in the world Joseph Charlton got snubbed for preseason All-SEC. But it is what it is. So I think the Gamecocks are in good hands with him. Um, another one, Parker White returning for his junior season. Obviously, you guys probably saw in the spring game, he is now on scholarship, which I think is well-deserved. Um, <clears throat> like I said, it's funny, freezing cold takes a year ago. I actually said, and I forget, it's funny. The guy who I said would beat Parker White out for the starting job, I he's not even on the roster anymore. <laughs> so I completely, completely missed that completely I, I just completely missed it that was terrible I, I don't know what I was thinking but Parker White won the job I thought the Gamecocks more than anything because we all know that kicking it's kind of like golf it's all mental it's a confidence thing and once you start struggling it is really hard to get out of that funk I mean it's just really really tough to get your mojo back get the momentum and feel confident again be confident in yourself and I thought the Gamecocks did a much much better job of the way that they used him a year ago and I, that was something we talked about a ton going into the season last year was, are, you know, how are the Gamecocks going to use him? Because I thought his freshman year in 2017, they put him in a lot of situations where they're asking him to kick 50-plus yarders. And, I mean, listen, you want to have a kicker that can make a 55-yarder. That's a luxury. But you don't just throw a guy out there and risk his entire confidence for the rest of the season when you might need him to make a 37-yarder or whatever it is like he did against Missouri to win the game or – you know, to make a 42-yarder to put you up late in a ball game. So I thought they did a much, much better job of using him a year ago. I thought you really saw his confidence grow. Again, 13 for 16 is extremely solid. But again, his long being 42. I don't think they asked too much of Parker White. And I think Parker White is a guy expecting to get much, much better even this year. And I'll be curious to see if they do kind of let the reins off on him a little bit. They take the training wheels off you. They let him try some more long ones, some 50-yarders, 52-yarder whatever. They let him try to hit those bombs. Because um, I think he's got the leg, but it's just all a mental confidence thing. I mean, again, you don't want to trot a guy out there um, and put him in a bad position. You know, you don't want to put him in a position to where it's going to impact him mentally and it's going to just kind of snowball on him, which is, what I think, what we saw in 2017. So, again, I thought they did a much better job of the way they used him. I think the Gamecocks, again, are in good hands with Parker White. Like I said, he's actually made two game winners now in his career, 2017 against Louisiana Tech and then 2018 against Missouri. I think South Carolina is solid in that spot. Um, getting to returning punts, this is one I think everybody loves to talk about. How do we feel about Brian Edwards returning punts? That, that's, that's a huge question. That's something everybody asks me about is, are the Gamecocks going to go to a different option? Obviously, it's a huge question going into fall camp. Will Brian Edwards hold on to the job, if you will? You know, it's funny. Again, people ask me, and I'll be honest, if I had to bet money on it right now, I'd say Brian Edwards is your starter, starting punt returner come, uh, come the game against UNC. I, I just think for whatever reason, <clears throat> I think for whatever reason, Will Muschamp has this complex where he really just wants a solid guy back there who's going to catch the football. And listen, listen, it is, I, I'm all for that. I, I don't want a guy back there. You don't want a huge high-risk guy back there who's going to fumble the football, muff the football, who misjudges the football. Brian Edwards is great in that regard. But, I mean, his returns a year ago, I read it off earlier, 7.9-yard uh, average. That is not wowing anybody. That's not jumping off the stat sheet. The one return that we all thought was going to be a huge return a year ago, he, he, it was a fumble against Texas A&M. I'm sure everybody remembers that. He fumbled the football. I'm not trying to, de you know, knock Brian Edwards or anything. I think he's a solid option back there. But are there any other options? Will anyone else step up to maybe be, you know, I mean, the Gamecocks have been looking for that big play guy since a guy like Ace Sanders left. And I'm not saying that anybody on this roster is going to be like A. Sanders, but is there anybody on this roster that can maybe provide a little bit more explosiveness while being able to still take care of the football and be smart back there? Because that's the big thing, right? Um, some other options to me, I think a lot of the guys I mentioned for the kickoff returns, I think could do the same thing. I mean, 
maybe not AJ. I think he's more of a kickoff return guy. But could Shai Smith do it? Could Jamie do it? Could Josh Van? Those are some guys they've rep- they've actually talked about. They've repped Jamias Williams, which again, I'm not even I'm not even holding my breath on that. Um, but uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Brian Edwards can hold on to that job and if he can improve from a year ago. Because again, I thought he was solid in the sense that he took care of the football. But I'd really like to see some more explosiveness out of the punt returns. And I think the thing that everybody kind of had, why everybody asked the question is because Brian Edwards just doesn't seem like that prototypical punt return. I mean, he's a bigger build, kind of a, you know, a big build, big bodied wide receiver. I mean, he's not the most elusive guy in the world. Don't get me wrong. He is fast. I mean, he's got speed, but he doesn't fit the mold of the traditional guy returning punts. So it'll be interesting to see if he holds on to that job. Like I said, gun to head right now, I would put my money on it that he will hold on to it because I think they're so, they're so focused and concerned on having a guy back there who can simply just catch the football and protect it, which is fine. Again, again, more power to it. I mean, everybody's going to come after your head if you put a guy in there who can't catch the football and fumbles it. A lot can go wrong in a punt. We know a lot can go wrong in a punt return. So, but it'll be interesting to see if there's any competition in that job, if nothing else. Um, lastly, kind of, kind of one of my big storylines, I guess, if you will, more so a question, but you know, will USC be able to rely on special teams this season like years past? Uh, you know, again, I talked about before, Gamecocks, the Gamecocks have used special teams to really flip games in their favor, no doubt. I mean, I already mentioned Missouri, NC State. You think of Ole Miss last year. You know, the list goes on and on of games where I feel like South Carolina, there was a positive impact made from special teams that I could argue that maybe the Gamecocks don't win that game if they don't have that positive impact. How much, because I think, again, this staff, I mean, the, the, the Gamecocks special teams, has been as good under Will Muschamp as it's been in USC's history. I mean, it's funny. I think the running joke for South Carolina has been that, oh, the special teams is terrible. We, you know, we can't, uh, we can't rely on special teams. Like, you know, if we just catch the football and take a knee, it's all good. But, you know, I think Debo Samuel and what Will Muschamp has done on special teams really changed that narrative. So I'm just intrigued to see how much of it, I guess, and I guess we won't really know until it shows up on the field, but how, how much of a focus is it still? You know, is South Carolina going to depend, going to be able to depend on a game where maybe things aren't going their way? We're going to make a big play on special teams. And again, that's going to come down to a lot of the guys that I mentioned that are going to replace a guy like Debo Samuel. A guy like Brian Edwards, has he, has he evolved in that punt returner role? Because um, I think Parker White and uh, Joseph Charlton are going to do their thing. But it's just about the returners, really, to me. Are the Gamecocks going to be able to depend on the special teams for a score every three or four games? I mean, I, I think that's a. Uh, you know, I think that's a, a fair question to ask. All right, let's get into some why they'll be better, why they'll be worse. While they'll be better for me, I just mentioned it. Joseph Charlton and Parker White simply return. I, I think both of those guys, I think Joseph Charlton, like I mentioned already, is one of the best punters in the SEC. Uh, I think Parker White is an extremely solid option as a place kicker. We saw what he did a year ago, and I think he'll only get better um, coming into this season. You know, it takes a lot – you know, it, it – it brings a whole new confidence to a kid, in my opinion, you know, being on scholarship and having that newfound confidence, if you will. But either way, I think he'll continue to improve, get better. I wouldn't be surprised if South Carolina kind of let the reins off him, let him go free. Um, but other than that, yeah, I think the Gamecocks are in good hands as far as their kickers go in Charlton and White. Um, while they'll be worse, it's pretty simple. The loss of Debo. Uh, this team, if the special teams is worse in 2019, it'll simply be because – the, you know, the Gamecocks weren't able to withstand the loss of Debo Samuel, and you can't necessarily blame them. Debo Samuel is a one-of-a-kind one type player. You know, th- th- not everybody's Debo Samuel in the return game. Uh, and also, I put Edwards doesn't prog- uh, progress as a returner. Um, if he's just kind of the same as a year ago. So, but to me, the big thing is why they could be worse. It's simple. It, the loss of Debo Samuel is going to hurt more than maybe, I don't know about more than we think, but as much as we think. Um, so I think that's one big reason why they could be worse. My prediction for the 2019 unit, just wrapping up the special teams, you know, unfortunately, I do think there's going to be a loss of production special teams just a little bit. I just don't think that you can expect those big plays with Debo gone. I don't think you can expect the Gamecocks to return a kickoff for a touchdown every three, four games. I just – Debo Samuel – and listen, I, I hope someone on this roster can prove me wrong and sort of be that guy. You know, there are certainly some unknowns going into this year, but my prediction overall is just simply – Debo Samuel's a guy that's a very, very special talent. There's a reason he was taken where he was in the NFL draft. There's a reason he had the success he did. And not everybody's like Debo Samuel. There's no question about it. So I think it's going to be – special teams is going to be an area where it hurts South Carolina. I don't think they'll have that sort of production in special teams. However, I do believe um, for this unit, 
again, Parker White and Joseph Charlton will continue to improve. I think they'll remain solid fixtures for USC in their special teams game. I think the Gamecocks um, are in good hands as far as their kickers are concerned. But, yeah, I just think that loss of Debo Samuel to me is just going to be too much to overcome. And I'm not saying the Gamecocks will be bad in special teams in the sense that they're they're booting the ball over the place. They don't know what they're doing. But as far as the explosive plays, as far as depending on the special teams to flip games for you, if you will, I'm just not sure I really see that happening in 2019. Um, all right, let's get into some news and notes. And I say news and notes, and it's really one note, and it is Tavian Feaster. Obviously, Twitter went berserk um, Sunday afternoon when there was a picture leaked of the Gamecocks locker room with Tavian Feaster's name on it and his number as well. Um, this picture was spread on a couple of different uh, – well, first, I'll let me say this. <clears throat> this picture was texted and DM'd to me about, from about 20 different people. Um, I got a massive amount of DMs, got a couple of texts from people, and then got a couple of other texts from some others of people that I really trust, some sources I truly trust. Of this picture, of the locker room, nobody seems to know exactly what it meant. Um, that's the first thing I will say. So when I put up the tweet, I simply said, it looks like the Gamecocks might have a new running back. Might. Might is the key word because there is nothing confirmed. That is the one thing I want to clarify. There is nothing confirmed in this Tavian Feaster saga. Um, fall camp for the Gamecocks starts this Friday. Players report Thursday. Camp starts Friday. Would not shock me at all if he's announcing this week. Would not shock me at all um, because camp starts. I mean, he's – I think he's talked about before. He's a guy that wants to be there with, in, when the start of camp. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the date for Clemson when he graduates, stuff like that. But it'll be over the next week, week and a half, no doubt. Um, but, uh, you know, it's – I kind of went back and forth on it and uh, going into the USC Twitter, the reaction – you know, USC Twitter went absolutely nuts. The, the you're ruining the kids moment crowd is probably becoming my least favorite crowd on Twitter. Um, you know, listen, guys, I, I'm just going to say this right now. If you're listening to this podcast, you're a fan of the Spurs Up show. And I think the one thing you guys all need to understand is if you're a Gamecock, I am friends with you. You're Garnet in black. You're a Gamecock. That trumps everything in my mind. But I know that I say some things and tweet some things and do some things that not everybody agrees with. That's life. That's just life. People don't agree with everything that you do. And that's 100% true in this instance. But when you start attacking my integrity and what I stand for and my brand and who I am and what I'm trying to do and what I'm building, what I'm undeniably building, that you know you can't stop, which I think is probably one of the bigger reasons people get upset because they hate what they're seeing happen. And it's okay. And that's fine. But uh, I'm not going to call it any names or say any names because really their names don't be deserved to be said on this podcast. But, uh, yeah, when you see people attacking the integrity like that and attacking my integrity and things of that nature, it's just silliness. It's silly. Listen, whoever leaked the photo is a scumbag. You know, whoever, whoever leaked that photo and put it out to the masses sucks, okay? I'll admit that. But it's not my job to protect the kids' moment. It's not my job to not put it out there and for Gamecocks to see it. Listen, it's a, it's, a, it's a photo with no context. We don't know if the kid was on a visit, which is what a lot of people have said. We don't know if the kid is official because they know things where we do. It's no doubt. We don't know if the kid's official and he's made the decision he's coming to Carolina. We don't know what's going on. It's all rumor. But the people that are upset at me for posting the picture, picture I've got nothing for you, man. I, I mean, I – well, 100 times out of 100 would have done the same exact thing. So, you know, listen – the kid's moment is not ruined. It's still going to be a huge announcement. Everybody's going to be happy and excited when he announces. that. The entire ruin the kid's announcement thing on Twitter just blows my mind. And you have literal South Carolina fans wanting to fight me on social media. Again, I'm not going to name off any names, but people wanting to fight me, trying to box. Things. Like, do you understand how insane that sounds? Like, and, I, and you know what I hate doing? I hate people that demonize the Gamecock fan base. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Gamecock Twitter is terrible. They're the Gamecock fans, it's so toxic. Gamecock Twitter is not awful. And, I, again, I hate talking about this, but I want to give it a little bit of a rant because, listen, I know 99.9% .9 of you listening to this right now, you guys could not give two shits about what's going on on USC Twitter drama. You couldn't. You don't care. It's, it's maybe 10% of Twitter that actually cares about the drama, and it's 1% probably that engages in it. But, again, I don't like to demonize the Gamecock fan base, and I won't do it. And it's not Gamecock Twitter that's the problem. There are eight to ten people, I would say, on social media that, for whatever reason, don't like me, don't like the Spurs Up show, don't like what I do, don't like what I say, don't like things I tweet. And normally, it's those same eight to ten people that 
get upset and reach for different things and make up their own opinions and make up their own realities just to fit their narrative when this happens. So I can deal with that. I can deal with those eight to 10 people. They're miserable. They're whatever. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're mad. They're in the place there. And I don't know what it is. They're upset. Their own insecurities are showing whatever it is, but Gamecocks Twitter is full of great people, great fans, uh, the best fans in the country, in my opinion. You've got eight to ten people who are miserable. So don't let those eight to ten ruin it for the entire perception of Gamecock Twitter. But I just figured I would tell you guys what's going on. Again, the person, whoever took the photo, whatever, listen, when you have that many people send you over this picture and you have that many people texted to you in reputable sources and nobody's saying, hey, don't post the photo, keep this a secret, like it's all good, whatever, I'm not going to not post the picture. Again, there's no context behind it. We don't know if he's officially – I just said they might have a new running back. That's simply it. So, if that upsets you, I apologize. If you want to reach out to me and directly have a conversation, I love to have the conversation. I really do. I'll talk to any Gamecock fan about anything. But when you just blindly come at me and what I'm building and what I'm doing and attack my integrity and my character over social media, it's all Twitter fingers, man. Any of the interaction you may get on social media after you hear me say this, and you see some of the banter back and forth and some of the things guys have said, and it's all Twitter fingers. It's all silly. It's all counterproductive. It's all a waste of time. It's all people, again, that are so consumed with their own insecurities and wish they were in a certain place that they're not. If that is what it is, each person has their own individual thing. I guess they're battling. But whatever the case may be, it's their issues. Again, guys, it's just a photo. Who knows what's going to happen? But Gamecock fans, be excited. Why not? not let's do this. Don't focus on the negative of – if, if you're upset the picture got taken or the picture got released or whatever, whatever the complex you have is. Because, again, I don't understand it. I can't fathom it. I can't understand it. Let's all be overjoyed that the Gamecocks might potentially be getting a game-changing type player at the running back position that is going to positively impact their offense. Let's focus on that. So, again, the Tavian Feaster photo, awesome news. It is what it is. We'll see what happens. Obviously, I'm sure his announcement will be coming over the next week, week and a half. But – I've been saying for the longest time, I feel really, really good the Gamecocks are getting Tavian Feaster, and that picture has to only make you feel better about it. So, other than that, all right, let's get into some listener questions. Again, apologize for the rant, guys. It's just something that, uh, you know, you guys listen to this show, and I'm sure a lot of you saw the bickering going back and forth. And, again, listen, man, it's all love. I, I love all Gamecock fans, man. I, I really do. Even after all the bickering, even after the things people say that are ridiculous and absurd and a lot of times not true, I still love all Gamecock fans. I, I, I don't know if the love is reciprocated. I doubt it is, but uh, it's all good, man. Um, all right, Sir underscore K underscore Bellamy. First thing I want to say to the listener questions, you guys disappointed me, man. I know it's the special teams episode, but you got to do better. One question, no voicemails. That hurts, man. All right, anyways, <laughs> Sir underscore K underscore Bellamy. Best special teams player this season, Parker White, Joseph Charlton, or Shy Smith? Well, I don't think it's Shy simply because he hasn't done anything. I mean, how can you say he's the best when he hadn't done anything? To me, overall, I'd say the best is Joseph Charlton. I mean, he's a guy that's proven as an all-SEC caliber player. Again, in my opinion, one of the best punters returning in the SEC. So, overall, to me, I, I would go with Joseph Charlton. I think that's a no-brainer. I actually do have one other question that was in my DMs I want to get to. Saltwater Swag asks, who's going to return kicks? Simply put, who is going to return kicks? Very good question. I talked about earlier. I think Shy Smith, Josh Van, A.J. Turner – Jamie Robinson, I think those are the guys that are sort of the leading candidates, if you will, to return kicks. Um, if I had to put my money on it right now, though, I'll be honest with you guys, I'll say A.J. Turner. I, I just think Will Muschamp is really sold on going with guys that are proven. I think he's sold on going with guys he can depend on. And I'm not sure if Will Muschamp is willing to give up the dependability and taking care of the football. I'm not sure if he's willing to give that up to take the risk of having a guy who can break a big play, but – may fumble it every now and then. I don't know if he's willing to do that. So we will see. Gun to head right now, put my money on it. I would say A.J. Turner, those returning kicks, simply just because he's done it before. All right, so let's get into our interview. Got a fantastic interview for you guys with former Gamecocks power forward Brandon Wallace. Brandon, a phenomenal dude, man. We had an awesome conversation, a guy that I think is really um, forgotten for Gamecocks basketball. And actually, he's only the second Gamecocks basketball player we've had on the show. So I'm really, really excited about that fact alone. Um, but he played for the Gamecocks 03 to 07. Actually, I didn't realize how great of a player he was in high school. Was South Carolina Gatorade Player of the Year, Mr. Basketball in 2003. He's the record holder for block shots, uh, fifth in SEC history in blocks per game, sixth in rebounds. 
Um, had a long professional basketball career as well where, where he played overseas. But we had a phenomenal conversation. I mean, it was so much fun recalling, you know, the Gamecocks making the NCAA tournament, those back-to-back NIT titles, the guys that he played with. Um, we talked a little pro basketball as well, some NBA, just talked about the game of basketball, his former teammates. Really, really cool stuff. Phenomenal interview. Brandon's an awesome guy. And the interview is brought to you over by our friends over at SeatGeek. I talked about before, guys. Again, Gamecock football is slowly creeping here. 33 days till kickoff, depending on when you're listening to this show. It's getting here. You're going to need your tickets. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. You create an account first off. And if you already have an account, I told you guys, go to SeatGeek. Create a new account with a new email so you can use the promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. Again, you're going to be buying these tickets to South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, the Gamecock football game. If you're going to NFL, any preseason NFL, any of the games, if you're going to MLB, maybe the MLB playoffs in October, whatever you're going to, concerts, comedy club events, doesn't have to be sports. If you're going to something, I'm literally giving you $10. I'm literally giving you $10 free dollars. Why not use the promo code and just get 10 bucks off? I mean, it's, it's that easy because the tickets aren't cheap nowadays, right? Tickets are pretty expensive. Why not save as much money as you can? Again, one of the best things, one of my favorite things about SeatGeek, they've actually got a ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you. It does all the work for you. So you don't have to look and say, well, what's the price for this? And you know, am I getting the right, you know, is this pricing slotted with where I'm sitting? Like, no, you're going to know exactly what you're getting because they have a deal score on there for you. So you know if you're getting ripped off, you know if you're getting a really good deal. So you know when to get those tickets, when to pounce on the tickets and get that deal and then use your $10 off as well. So again, our friends over at SeatGeek really appreciate they got those guys. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks power forward, Brandon Wallace. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that was a power forward for the Gamecocks from 2003 to 2007. Coming out of high school, he was the South Carolina Gatorade Player of the Year and Mr. Basketball in 2003. He's the record holder for block shots in USC history with 249. He ranks fifth in SEC history in blocks per game and sixth in rebounds and played professional basketball from 2007 to 2013. I'm very excited to have welcome to the show, former Gamecocks power forward, Brandon Wallace. Brandon, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, man, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Brandon, let's kind of go back to the beginning for you. Like I said, you were uh, you were very, very successful in high school coming out of Silver Bluff. Uh, like I mentioned, in 2003, you were the South Carolina Gatorade Player of the Year, Mr. Basketball, very highly rated recruit. Um, talk about just your recruitment overall, your recruitment to South Carolina, and why you eventually chose to come to South Carolina. Um, going into it um i actually had a couple of friends that played football at usc uh troy williamson and marcus lawrence who are both from silver bluff high school they both played football there that was kind of a factor in it and also i wanted to stay close to home uh to play uh, my like my final three came down to georgia tech university and university of maryland and of course south carolina uh main reason i chose it i had a couple of friends here and it was close to home no doubt. So your head coach when you were the Gamecocks was Dave Odom. Dave obviously having a very successful tenure. You guys went to the NCAA tournament in 2004, um, back-to-back NIT titles in 05 and 06, which we're going to get to in just a second. But just talk about your relationship with Dave Odom, what he was like as a head coach, and just what that relationship was like between you guys. Oh, man, Coach Odom was an awesome coach. Um, I believe he thought he could make all of us into the next Tim Duncan. But one thing that was common about everybody he recruited, all of us were the same size. So even Carlos Powell, down to Ronaldo Bachman, any post player we had at the time, we were all the same size. But, you know, Coach had a system. Uh, He had a style of player that he liked, and obviously all of us fit that mold. So it kind of worked out. Um, And then looking back on it, it also kind of hurt us. Uh, I believe we were one big man away from – being able to do something special. Um, even in those NIT years, we swept the national champion, University of Florida, um, and then lost them in the SEC championship game by two. But if we had a real big man, we probably could have did some damage. No doubt. So I want to jump for you, Brandon, specifically into your freshman season. You get to South Carolina in 2003, like I said, fall of 2003. Uh, your freshman year, you averaged 3.7 points per game, 3.3 rebounds per game, one block per game. Uh, just kind of talk about the transition for you because, you know, I hear it all the time, like I mentioned off the air, you know, talk to a lot of football players, baseball players, things of that nature. But for basketball, I mean, I, I know it's a little bit, it seems like it's more of a seamless transition, especially nowadays with kids getting drafted as freshmen out of college. But 
I mean, what was the transition like going from, you know, being such a highly rated recruit and such, such a standout at the high school level to playing in the, playing in the SEC and just playing college basketball? Uh, that's a great question. Um, it may not be common knowledge, but as a high school kid, when I played, uh, was Gatorade Player of the Year, I was a shooting guard. So up until high school, through my high school career, through all the, you know, the success I had in high school, I played shooting guard. I played on the wing. And then as a freshman, I became a center. <laughs> so I think that was the main difference. Um, and I came in, I was always skinny, but I came in in my freshman year, I was 6'9", 165. So as you can imagine, a 165-pound freshman who's played guard, I was like playing center. It was a big adjustment going up against the first person I guard in the SEC, kind of funny story, was David Lee, mm. who eventually became a 10-year NBA vet. But he had probably outweighed me by 100 pounds. and It was a, it was a big lesson for me playing SEC ball. But I think for me, what made it tough that freshman year was the position change. Cause just because I've never played center and got to Carolina, and then all of a sudden I become a center. And never left the post, actually. <laughs> so I had to figure it out. For sure. So that freshman year, obviously, you come in, you know, Brandon, you have your transition year, I guess, if you will, as a freshman. But, I mean, you guys have a fantastic year as a team. Make the NCAA tournament, I believe it was the first time in – I'm not sure how many years. But you guys, again, make the NCAA tournament. Just talk about, you know, that experience as far as, you know, your first year in college, South Carolina having a ton of success. What was that like for you guys, the run to the tournament? Oh, man, it was amazing. Um just because being a South Carolina kid, um, the university hadn't had much success. Uh, Coach Fuller won the SEC um, probably what six or seven years before that freshman year in '03. Um, I think just being in South Carolina and achieving it—that was big. Um, just being an in-state kid and then finally get to see the school have that success—that was—it was amazing. It was a great run. Um, Mike Boyan was our team captain who's now the head coach at Oklahoma State. And, like, under his leadership, man, I thought Mike was, like, the best player <laughs> I ever played with without him scoring much, but his leadership qualities, which have now translated him to him being a head coach at a Power 5 school. I can see, you know, his future was already predetermined. He was a lot like a coach on the floor, and he did a good job of leading us. Yeah, you talked about Brandon, his leadership. You also played with the likes, like you already mentioned earlier, Carlos Powell, Ronaldo Balkman, some very well-known Gamecocks. How much did that help you uh, coming in as a young guy? I mean, what, how much did you learn from those guys, and just how much easier did, that, did it make the transition for you to have those older guys around who had had so much success? Carlos was actually my roommate my freshman year. So I got to meet Carlos early on. Um, also, like another guy that was a big name in high school basketball at that time, Major Wingate was Carlos's high school teammate. I ended up coming uh, to Carolina. Major decided to go to Tennessee. But Carlos, man, he just set the tone from the weight room, um, the weight room aspect of it, all the way down to practicing hard. He was our vocal leader. Mike was like our emotional leader, you know, the steady guy. Carlos was essentially Ronaldo beforehand. Me and Ronaldo were the same age, so I got to see him come in and develop into the player he was. It was just with those guys around, it's tough not to work hard. They just pushed the – you know, they kind of set the tone for us. For sure. So, I, I want to talk about the back-to-back -back NIT titles, Brandon. You guys win the NIT in 2005, 2006. Um, obviously, you know, it's kind of funny with the NIT. I know with you guys, especially after making the tournament in 04, I know that wasn't your primary goal, right? You wanted to get back to the tournament, but – Winning back-to-back -back NIT titles, obviously nothing to sniff at. I want to focus on the 2005 game. Torrance Kinsey hits the game winner. I think you had a big block late in that one as well to kind of set that up. But just kind of walk me through that game and then just sort of the emotions of, you know, Torrance Kinsey, like I said, because that was a very back-and-forth game at the end of the game. Both teams trading off threes, and then uh, Kinsey hits the game winner. Yeah, that one, um, it was a big-time experience. Um in the NIT, what you see, that's pretty common. Um, it's teams that want to be there, teams that are just excited to play, and then there's some teams that actually don't want to play. Um, we just happen to be one of those teams that took advantage of that. Um, that game in particular, I just remember it being up and down. Um, with that game, I just remember those last few minutes, honestly. I'm not even that old, and I can only remember certain parts of it. But <laughs> going down the stretch, 
Um, it was just one big play after the next. And then, obviously, Torrance coming up. Not a guy who's known as a three-point shooter, but hitting that game winner was just it's a good feeling. Uh, a, good, a good cap to a season that didn't start off or didn't finish how we wanted it, but we were able to extend it and, you know, make something special out of it. Anytime you're playing for a postseason title is better than just going home early. So that gave a chance for guys like Ronaldo to put, get his name out there, which eventually turned into him being drafted the following season after playing well in that tournament. But anytime you can extend your postseason, even if it's not the NCAA tournament, it's, it's a win-win, especially for a program like us who hasn't had, you know, much success in those recent years. But Torrance hit a big shot. I think a lot of people still get us confused because they think I hit the shot. We just look alike. <laughs> and all of us wore T-shirts at the time. So, <laughs> But it was, know, it was a good moment for us. It, it's funny. I did have to go – like, I, I knew it was Kenzie to hit the shot. But when you go back and watch – I actually watched it just before we came on the air. And you are right, you guys. Because you're wearing, like, the same exact fit. So, it, I could see how yep. – And I think – I think if, I could be wrong, but I think you were the guy that inbounded the ball to him. So, I, I may yeah. be wrong. Yeah. So I think that maybe yeah. source of the confusion, but no, it's funny. But yeah, the, uh, we look just alike. Yeah, haircuts and everything. <laughs> you, uh, you, uh, Brandon mentioned Ronaldo Balkman, who's a guy that I mean is just, you know, for me at least when I grew up, like the first South Carolina basketball player I really vividly remember was Carlos Powell, and then Ronaldo Balkman, and then the rest of you guys. Um, but Ronaldo Balkman, a guy that just very vividly remember his playing style. I mean, I just remember all the alley oop dunks he would he would throw down. Just talk about what it was like playing with him, a guy that you know was very good at South Carolina, is now having a ton of success. I know overseas playing basketball well as well, and what he was like uh, as a teammate. Playing with Ronaldo, man, is just like uh, it was a ball of energy. Um, I compare him to how Chris Silva started out. Um, with the shot blocking and just the energy hustle play, like Chris's freshman year. But Ronaldo, man, just one of those guys with an unbelievable motor. Um, it doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are. He played with all heart. Played that way in practice as well. Um, and it continues. To, now he's a little bit more skilled. He shoots jump shots now. But initially, man, Ronaldo never played with somebody like him before. Not a guy that you can game plan for. You just know he's going to be out there just battling. And we had uh, Mike Carrera, who's a similar Warrior-style basketball player. Every now and then we get those guys. But I really think Ronaldo was the first that I played with that played that way. And, um, you know, it was infectious. Everybody, you see him diving in the stands for loose balls, chasing down guys, blocking shots. It's, it's real uplifting to a team. Maybe we need some more guys like that. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. So I want to ask you, Brandon, specifically about your career. You know, it's interesting when you take a look at your statistics at South Carolina. Um, <clears throat> one thing reigns true. You increased in minutes, obviously, every year. You went from literally 13 minutes your, uh, your freshman year all the way to 36 your senior year. Obviously, you got more playing time. But each year you increased in minutes. Your points per game actually went up two points every single year. Talk about how, like, where you feel like you – evolved the most as a basketball player from your freshman year to your senior year at Carolina? I think I, I learned to evolve um, with the position players um, early on, a little frustrating. And then I kind of accepted because we had nobody else. I remember a uh, coach said in the article after I got finished, you know, I, I played out of position, but he said, really, we just didn't have anybody else. And I had to, you know, I, had to, I learned to fend for myself. Um, definitely by far the smallest center in the SEC, probably ever. <laughs> I don't know if it was any other people playing center at 180, 185 in the SEC at that time. But I did learn a lot defensively. I had to be faster than those guys. Um, Position-wise, I had to position myself better. Luckily, I could jump. If I couldn't, it would probably been a long year. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have been as successful if I wasn't as athletic but um just going going back to it man i still look at it as some opportunities i left on the table i should have been developing my game more even after the position changed but just finding a way to get better and then ultimately all it was was me just trying to help the team best as i could so i got over that position change and just made the best out of what was given no doubt. So I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, Brandon, you're the career record holder for block shots at South Carolina with 249. 
um, and actually fifth in SEC history of blocks per game. Um, what, what would you attribute to – what made you such a dominant shot blocker? I think um, coming into high and coming into college, I actually blocked a lot of shots in high school, but I played at a small high school, double A, where I was obviously the biggest person. But I averaged almost seven a game. So blocking shots wasn't, you know, something that was new to me. But um, transitioning to a bigger league against bigger players, um, one thing you really didn't lose, it's all timing, really. Um, it's all timing. Just putting yourself in the right spot and then knowing when to go for block because you can get yourself in a lot of foul trouble too, chasing blocks. But if you put yourself in position, you can kind of minimize that. But it became – I think for me, just trying to get up with those big names in our conference at the time, we had some heck of a players in the SEC at that time, from the David Lees to Lawrence Rivers to Kentucky, always was, was stacked. But to get in those names, like the Joe Kim Noahs of the world, mm-hmm. that was my area. That and rebounding. <laughs> so I just yeah. tried to be one of the best guys in the league and at both of those and just try to keep your name out there. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, you're somebody who, again, you, you know a lot about blocking shots. Is it more of a technique-type play, or is it more of a, an effort-type play? I mean, how, how would you describe it in that manner? It's a, effort, it's a combination of both. Um, it's definitely effort, because it is guys out there at seven feet tall that don't block a lot of shots. Um, technique to it, it is a technique when it comes to staying out of foul trouble. You got to know when to chase them and when not to chase them. Uh, you can get yourself. Uh, Chris struggled with that early on in his career. Well, he struggled with it most of his career. Chris Silva mm. um, is definitely knowing when to go after them and when not to go after them. Um, but mainly, I would say 75% effort, 25% technique, if I had to put a number on it. But. No real secret to it. It's either guys that like it <laughs> or guys that don't. Either way, it can put you on sports and on a, on a good end or a bad end. You just gotta, it comes with the territory. <laughs> For sure. So the uh, I want to go to your post-South kind of career, Brandon. The 2007 NBA draft comes around. You're an undrafted free agent. I know you were invited to play for the uh, the Boston Celtics, Las Vegas Summer League team. Um you know, and then you bounced around a lot from the Utah Flash, Iowa Energy, Los Angeles Defenders, uh, went overseas and played a lot. Just kind of talk about um, – we'll just kind of start from the beginning. You know, your your professional career, again, you go undrafted, but just talk about to me the path for you after college as far as pursuing playing professional basketball. Um, didn't get drafted. Draft night was kind of a blur, but I did – Luckily, I was in a workout in Boston with Al Thornton and Corey Brewer. Um, it was just us three. And those guys happened to be lottery picks in that draft. So I had a good showing. Um, that's how the Boston invite came about. Also, went out to Summer League. Um, what started off as a very bad Boston team um, before I came, it was a chance to make a team. And then um, had a real good summer league, similar to Chris. I signed, and that's how I got played with the Celtics. Um, but that team went from a last-place team in the East to, like, the face of the NBA with the first big three trade. <laughs> right. So it was two different situations. But that's when I figured out, um, I think, what I experienced in college playing out of position. That's when all that stuff started coming back around to help me out. So I had already had experience playing against bigger guys and then moving me to the wing at my size really helped out and getting that opportunity in the NBA. Um, after that, I spent about probably about three seasons just trying to get back summer league with Bobcats. I played summer league with the Wizards as well. After that, the D League came about, um, just pursuing it from that avenue. I was, oh, Carlos Fowler was in there at the same time I was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a grind. i say it's a grind. Uh, at that point, it just comes like how much you want it. I mean, you can go over and play in Europe. It doesn't, for me, it didn't feel the same. Uh, obviously, you grew up watching NBA basketball, and obviously you want to play here. But it is opportunities out there for guys that don't play NBA. It just it's a grind. <laughs> yeah, it just 
Yeah, I was going to say, just talk about the decision to go overseas and play because, you know, I'll be honest, I talked to Carlos Powell about this as well. And then, again, like you mentioned, look at Ronaldo Bachman's career and just some other guys. And I really, I just say, really for any sport, I mean, to go to go overseas and play, I mean, you've really got to love the game. I mean, because you're, you know, there, oh, there yeah. are pros and cons to everything and you're making sacrifices, whether it be, you know, personal sacrifice, relationships in your life, if you have a, you know, relationship yeah. or kids, family, whatever, like you're, there are a lot of sacrifices that come with it. So just talk about your your decision to go overseas and play and just kind of what that experience was like for you, if it was tough, good, indifferent. Yeah. my uh, For me, I would say it was more on the tough side. Um, the first place I played, it was in Turkey. I'm a kid from Jackson, South Carolina. I don't know if many people know where that is, but it's actually probably about a town of about 800. We got one red light. <laughs> it's a real remote area. So my first experience going overseas, it wasn't even something I was considering, um, but just the opportunity, obviously, to continue playing. Um, I ended up in Mercer, Turkey. Um, luckily, with some guys I knew, I played with Chris Lofton, who played at University of Tennessee, and uh, Bo McCaleb. He was from University of New Orleans. He ended up having a really good – both of those guys are still playing actually, having really good yearly careers. But it's different. Um how things we view the NBA here as glamorous as it is here, it's a lot different in other countries. Turkey happens to be one of the better countries to play in. But um, I've been some spots, man. Played in Cyprus, um, a little island off the coast of Greece, during the time when the Greek economy fell. So it was like, you know, right across the water in Greece, it's riots. You know, those people are fighting for their lives. Their, you know, their economy just went bankrupt. Um, that's a different time. I played in Venezuela, in Caracas. I don't know if you guys follow the news, but you can see what's going on down in <laughs> <Yeah>. Venezuela. <laughs> One of the most yeah. dangerous cities in the world, you know, at any time, anything can happen. I think for me, that was towards the end. Um, it's just really what you have going on personally can mm. um, determine how long you stay with it. Um, I see guys like Ronaldo, who I talked to, who was at my wedding recently here. Um, you know, he loves – he's a guy that thrives in it, a guy that can be himself anywhere in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, he is able to continue to go out and play. Torrance Kenzie still plays at a really high level. Um, even Carlos, up to this last year, he just stopped. I thought those guys were going to play forever. But um, <laughs> I think it's just some – it's not for – I would say it's not for everybody. Um, for me, I couldn't see myself in it. After those six or seven years, it was hard. I I got two young kids, 11 and eight now. They were young at that time. So missing out a lot of family time with those guys was kind of a determining factor. But for guys that are planning on pursuing it, man, is what you make of it, I would say. Um, for everybody, you'll find your way. Um, a lot of us don't get to start off in glamorous spots overseas. Sometimes they, you know, guys start on the lower end of playing overseas when you don't make as much money and then you're away from home. It gets kind of kind of tough, but it's a grind, though, um, if you choose to follow that path. For me, I just couldn't see myself in it long term. No doubt. I, I was going to mention, by the way, just kind of uh... – kind of uh, off the subject but jackson south carolina i'm actually from north augusta so very familiar with jackson south carolina yeah, but you know about you, Jackson. i do yeah. but i'm sure <laughs> I, you are correct that I, i'm not sure that a lot of people know where it is but uh no very very familiar right. with jackson for sure but uh <laughs> but no yeah i mean like you said i mean you kind of bounced around but again had a long and i'd say successful playing career um that career ended in 2013 and i assume what you just mentioned was probably part of a big reason with your children your you know, yeah. kind of your just your life, your family. Uh, talk about just sort of what went into the decision to hang up the sneakers and how, how tough that was for you, or was it an easy easy decision because of your family? Man, it was it was really tough. It was really tough, man. Um, just something that you've done all your life. Um, I don't even know if most people know. I'm a coach's son, so my dad uh, played college ball. He played pro ball for the Spurs back in the '70s. Um, my mom played college basketball at Georgia Southern University, like the rest of my family. <laughs> uh, my brother played at Georgia Southern as well. But I've always, I grew up around basketball, always been in basketball. And then that decision to hang it up was probably one of the the 
biggest decisions I've made, man, because it's such an adjustment. Um, I don't know if Carlos spoke about it. He just recently retired, mm. and we talked pretty regular, you know, and just try to keep him encouraged. Um, it's tough, man. It's was something you've done your whole life, and then now you're like, what's, well, what's next? <laughs> you got to try to find yourself outside of sports. So at that time, I was probably 29, 30 years old, 28 years old, I think, when I hung it up, and then it was just trying to find what was next. For sure. Tough. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, you know, and forgive me if I, if I just didn't see this information, Brandon, but you mentioned that your father, you're, you're the son of a coach. Did, did coaching, yep. did staying in basketball that way ever cross your mind or is that, that's something you didn't want any part of? Yeah. Um, actually I just joined the staff here at great collegiate Academy full-time. I volunteered for the last couple of years okay. over here, but, um, yeah, my dad coached at Glen Hills high school in Augusta, Georgia for almost, 30 years or so. <laughs> mm, right. Um, but it's right across the way from North Augusta. You probably heard of it. Mm, but yeah. coaching, um, just my way in, I kind of spent some years away from it from 2013 to about beyond uh, the head coach here at Gray was my uh, AAU coach. So I've known him for a long time. And I actually came to Gray the season that Jalik Felton played here. Um, as a volunteer and then kind of hung around since then. But I think it's a chance for me to be around the game again and give back to some kids, help some kids through some tough spots with my life experience. So I'm excited about it. I, I want to ask you, Brandon, a little bit off the wall question, but about the, uh, the like, I guess the changes in the game of basketball, because I, I'm sure you watch now with the NBA, it's all about shooting the three pointer. Everybody's shooting the three, the kind of the golden state warrior effect where, um, that's happening. What's kind of your take on the current state of NBA basketball? Obviously, over this past offseason, there's been a ton of shakeup, and I think we'll have probably as much intrigue as we've ever had coming into an NBA season, at least the last couple of years, because we just felt like every year it's Golden State and Cleveland or Golden State and whoever LeBron's playing for. But uh, what's kind of your take <laughs> on the evolution of the game of basketball overall is turning more from you know that physical style of play down low when you were playing versus now it's just all finesse and guys shooting the three ball? Oh, man, I miss my time. I think about it all the time. I was like, now the skinny guys are in. <laughs> but um, I think the game, uh, obviously, it changed. from Obviously, when Dirk Nowitzki came over the first time, he was the first true stretch seven-footer besides the bonus that we've seen. And then it just continues to change, man, um, for the better for our skinny guys. <laughs> Back when I was coming through, if you were my height, you had to be around 250, 260. But I like it. I like it. Um, I don't like the defensive, the way the game is called. Um, it's not as physical. They call a lot of fluff fouls, I think. But the overall skill level is kind of good to see. Um, at the high school level, <laughs> we try to have a tough time convincing these kids that they can't do the stuff that those guys on TV do because it's not really conducive to high school-style basketball. But I like it. I like the way the game is headed. Um, once we start getting some real big men back, because now everybody that's seven foot wants to play the wing, <laughs> and that's just not everybody. But I think the way it's headed, man, I like it. I think I like it. It's more open. Um, NBA rules are definitely set up for scoring. They don't really award the defender much. Mm. It's not much they can do. <laughs> No uh, I like it. Uh, and then now with the new trades, too, that, you know, the game is more even. We don't have to pencil in Golden State every year in the finals. So, I like that. For sure. So, Brandon, I want to get back to Gamecock basketball, but I want to talk more current-day South Carolina Gamecocks basketball because I know as an alum, um, you had to have a great sense of pride watching South Carolina do what they did in 2017 when the Gamecocks made the Final Four for the first time ever in school history under Frank Martin. Just – Talk about what that was like for you. Again, I, I really, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent and you can't move forward without recognizing where you've been and guys like yourself and Carlos Powell and Balkman. And even before you guys, you know, that wouldn't have been possible without the foundation, I believe, that you guys built. Just talk about the sense of pride you had watching your, your alma mater make it all the way to the Final Four in 2017. Man, it was an amazing run. Um, I couldn't have been more proud. We had a great guy, Coach Martin, representing the university on the big stage and beating Duke, 
every game was, you know, was amazing, man. Just stuff that us former Gamecocks only dreamed about. You know, everybody, you grow up and, you know, you a game lifelong Gamecock fan probably as well, mm-hmm. yeah. but never dreaming about us actually, we're dreaming about it, but not actually expecting to make a Final Four. And Coach Martin and those guys, and Darius and PJ, uh, they gave it to us, man. And to this day, I'm forever thankful for it, man. Just to say they they danced, and even though it wasn't us, but I'm forever indebted to Coach Martin. He's a he's amazing, great coach. No doubt. And Brandon, I wanted to ask you about that as well. So Frank Martin, a guy that since that 2017 Final Four, um, some seasons that have gone kind of back and forth, if you go back to back years, uh, missing out on the postseason. But I, I want to ask you about just your take on Frank Martin, the direction of the program. I think the majority of the fan base likes Frank Martin, the job he's doing and has done, obviously. There are some people that, you know, have their criticisms of him. But I just want to get your perspective on, you know, the, the current state of Gamecock basketball and the trajectory of the program under Frank Martin's leadership. I think Coach Martin is definitely the guy. Um, obviously, he's already taken us places that we've never seen before. But um, for a guy that under his leadership that – like a true, genuine leader as a coach. I don't think there's nothing better out there. <laughs> I, would, I would love to have coach for as long as he wants to have us, for sure. Um, I know he gets a lot of fluff about um, the in-state recruits, but I don't think that's a coaching thing, anything reflecting his coaching style. I mean, he's out there, he's recruiting. Those guys are getting out there. And then, you know, it's tough to compete with some of the schools that are coming in. Uh, obviously, you're going to miss some recruits. Some guys fly under the radar, the John Morant, but I'm sure Coach is in on that one as well. But the recruiting is one of those things that's always been a problem kind of at South Carolina. I think um, in-state-wise, Coach Fogler probably was the best. Um, but since then, it's either, you know, hit or miss. Coach Odom was able to grab some guys on the second time around, Devin Downey and Zone Frederick. But I think basketball is in good shape. Coach yeah. Martin is a great yeah. coach. Um, and the guys that he gets in, he gets the most out of, too. So that's why it doesn't really concern me. Yeah, I, I was gonna, the right guy for the guy. I was going <laughs> to ask right you – yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Brandon, because it's a conversation I had with Carlos as well, and it's a question that fans – ask me all the time in regards to South Carolina basketball and recruiting, like what can South Carolina do to keep home the top talent? It was this, this question was asked a bunch when the Zion Williamson conversation was happening, which I think is kind of an unfair, just kind of an unfair conversation because Zion's a different, he's a different type of animal, right? I mean, he's just a different type of guy, but I mean, there is some merit to the question in regards, like, what does South Carolina need? I mean, you're going to have to – you understand – like, for example, a Seventh Woods that went to UNC and is now transferred back to South Carolina. But, again, people ask me all the time, like, what can South Carolina do to keep those big-time in-state guys home? Because, again, you know you're going to have to compete with the Kentuckys and the North Carolinas and the Dukes of the world. But when you're losing guys to programs like, you know, Tevin Mack went to Alabama. I mean, you're losing guys to Georgia. like programs that aren't traditional powers. I mean, like you said, do you think there's anything specifically that South Carolina could do to keep those guys home, or is it just something where some years you're going to be able to get them and some get, some years you're just not? But how it's been, um, first I think on the kids' level, I would like to see our South Carolina kids take pride and ownership in ownership in state school. Um, it's been done. It can be done just like the Aja Wilson story. We all know how that turned out. Aja is a homegrown kid that came here, could have went anywhere in the country, but decided to stay home and build with Coach Staley. And look what it turned into. Mm-hmm. That can happen for men's basketball too. But it's going to take a kid, you know, because um, you can fall in love in that recruiting process. You can fall in love with the Kentuckys, the, the Dukes, having that, we grew up watching that. We're in ACC basketball country, essentially. Um, so that's what you see on TV. But it's going to take a kid to come along and just take ownership of the program, you know. That's all we need is one. Um, yeah. On the coaching side, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's been a constant struggle. That is, it's not a, like a new problem for South mm-hmm. Carolina. It's always been that same problem. 
and I think it was just it, it was it really came to the forefront this year when the top two picks in the NBA draft were Zion Williamson and John Morant, both guys who are from the state of South Carolina that neither one of them went to a South Carolina school. So, so I mean, right. it's, just, it's just very interesting to see that. I mean, I mean, for you, I know they weren't Gamecocks, but did you take any pride in that, knowing the top two guys in the draft were from South Carolina and you're a, you know, a South Carolina guy yourself? I mean, it was, but absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, just showing people we play more than football. <laughs> right. You know, it's a, it's a football state in nature, but those guys who are really good kids, um, great kids, obviously, but tremendous basketball talents. But to show, you know, that we still have players. The last time that players of that caliber come through, probably Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Jermaine O'Neal. So just to see the cycle come back around is always, always a proud moment. Anytime you can see South Carolina guys in the NBA, it gives the rest of these kids here in the state hope. You know, it's different. You can grow up watching the Kevin Durants and then also – now, these South Carolina kids can look up, hey, Zion's in the NBA, number one pick, John Morant, number two pick for right here in state. So it gives the kids something to shoot for. And anytime they do that, that's that's big time. Now no, we just no. need somebody to do it here. <laughs> no, no, I agree 100%. Brandon, I'm going to get you out of here, but I got one last question for you. When you look back on your Gamecocks career, um, if you had to pick one, your favorite memory is a Gamecock. Favorite memory, um, NCAA tournament. Just making it, uh, coming through as a kid in high school, you know, you spend a lot of your senior year in March, anyway, watching the tournament on, in class. And then the very next year, you're actually playing in it, man. That was a big time moment. Chased that moment again for three years unsuccessfully, but <laughs> making the NCAA tournament definitely my highest point. No doubt. Well, Brandon, really appreciate you taking the time. Again, I, I know I can speak for Gamecock fans and I say it was a blast to watch you and really all the guys compete at the level you did. I know you only got to go to the NCAA tournament one year, but you certainly did not leave South Carolina empty-handed again with two NIT titles. Record holder for block shots. Had a fantastic career. And, Brandon, really appreciate it. Would love to love to talk ball again sometime. Anytime, brother. Anytime you need me, man. Thanks for having me. All right, perfect. So, for Brandon Wallace, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of Dispersed.